Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal, to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. It goes back to tapping into my network, tapping into people that I trust and that can give me direct feedback. But it always feels good to hear the, oh, you're doing a great job, or it always feels good to hear that you're doing well. But the people that can give it to you straight and say, hey, you could have done this better, or hey, that was good, but this is maybe where you need to focus more, that can be very helpful. And so I think having those people in your lives that are mentors or friends, family, whatever, that can give you that direct feedback is also helpful. Mm. Giving yourself a little grace that you're not going to know everything in the first week, the first month, the first six months even. It takes time. But chart out a path, and I I like to say organize and put plans together with a 30, 60, 90 day plan. What do I need to accomplish in this period or the next period, whatever it happens to be, and map that out. And you can measure yourself. Are you hitting those milestones as you're progressing in your journey? Are you ready to give your career that extra push and ace your performance? I'm your host, Monica Marquez, and it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Terry Fiedler, president of Retirement Services at Corbridge Financial, to our conversation today. Follow along as Terry enlightens us with her unexpected journey from nutrition to finances, proving that overcoming challenges is all part of the game. We'll also delve into the crucial role of collaboration, the advantage of diverse skill sets within teams, and why self-awareness is key. To all you go-getters out there, Terry's candid advice on seeking unfiltered feedback and cultivating professional relationships will resonate with you. Join us and let's discover together the power of resilience, the joy of lifelong learning, and the importance of fostering a supportive professional tribe around you. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with our special guest. Welcome, Terry. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here today with us. Before we dive into the actual podcast, we always love to hear all of our guests' stories. What is your story? What have you learned along the way? And what has brought you now here into your current role? Thank you for having me. I've always liked the idea of being in a profession that betters the lives of others. In college, I pursued a degree in nutrition. And at that time, I had plans to educate people on how one's diet can play a a prominent role in, in overall health. And I became interested in nutrition because my maternal grandmother had adult onset diabetes. Mm -hmm. And the dietitian was able to help her get off insulin shots. As a young girl, I saw how my grandmother was able to manage her diet without having to take insulin shots and how much the dietitian helped her with her quality of life. But towards the end of college, I really wasn't sure if I wanted to be a registered dietitian. Friends and family would tell me that that I would be good in sales. So I was, I was really open to exploring other careers than nutrition, but again, with the, with the idea of, of getting into a profession that, that really did help better the lives of others. After college, a friend of mine told me about a job with a fast-growing asset management firm. Investments were always interesting to me, so I decided to pursue um, that opportunity. I got the role, 
And then almost immediately, I knew that financial services really was the career for me. I think about it now, and there are so many, there's really so many parallels with nutrition, healthcare, and with financial services. And if you think about it, both professions focus on wellness. There's the, the physical health, the physical mm-hmm. wellness, there's financial health, financial wellness. The way I think about it today is that there's a circle of physical health and then a circle of financial health. There's really that concentric circle in there of emotional health. And I think it's hard to have strong emotional health if you're worried about your finances all the time and your mm-hmm. and your future. And it's also hard to have good emotional health if you're struggling with your physical health, et cetera. And so I, I do I do see a lot of parallels between between those and, and feel that my sort of nutrition background has been helpful. Mm-hmm. When I started in this industry, I started at an entry level role. It, it was it was called a marketing specialist. And I think most of us would would refer to that job as an internal uh, sales position. So very entry level role. Over time, I was offered various management positions with increasing responsibilities. And each of those positions built off the previous the previous role. So I was never, I never really felt overwhelmed, overwhelmed when I got into a new role. I felt challenged and sometimes very, very challenged, but, but I always knew that I could improve the results by putting the right team in place and working hard and, and, and keeping focused on the, the two most, most important things, which are the customers and the employee. And in terms of what I've learned over my career, I've learned a lot. <laughs> but what I knew then is what I think sometimes, but but I've learned a lot. And and one of the things that I think about is the grass is greener where you water it. But mm. I feel like sometimes that folks are so focused on getting the next role that sometimes they forget to be great in the role that they that they have. And mm. if you focus on the role that you have and being the best you can be at that role, that opens up that opens up opportunities. And, and the other thing that I've, I've learned is that to advance your career, you do have to take some risk. You have to take some chances. Take that assignment or role that may feel like a stretch. I've been in that situation a couple of times where my two larger roles have been have been at AIG and Corbridge. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think both of them were stretch assignments. The current role that I'm in right now is was a stretch. Or, and, and the thing to think about is what is the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is that you're not successful. To me, that's the worst thing that can happen. But if that is the outcome, which is very unlikely, but if that happens to be an outcome, you'll still learn, you'll still grow, and then you won't have regrets for not, for not trying. So I do encourage women in particular to find career opportunities that may feel like a stretch and push yourselves, push your boundaries, get in decision-making roles and be comfortable with the notion of being uncomfortable and believing in yourself, I think is half of that battle. Uh, and then once you do embrace that, it gets easier. Once you start taking some, some chances, it's easier to take additional chances. And then I think additional opportunities often follow. Mm. The learning to share is that um, I've learned is to really fully embrace who you are and not to try to be someone you're, you're not. And not only is it not to try to be someone you're not for the sake of that, that's just not authentic, but it also takes too much energy. It takes a lot of energy to pretend or to, to not really be aligned or to, with, with who you actually are. And embracing who you, also, who you are also means knowing things that you're not as skilled at or things that are not your preferences. So for example, for me, I like to use data. People that work with me know that I, I use a lot of information and data to make informed decisions. 
but I'm not going to be the data cruncher. I, I'm, that is not my skill set. I think about when I first started out, there were not a lot of female role models in my, in my industry. And, and in an odd way, that really, that really was an advantage. And I've learned so much from some amazingly talented men, but because there wasn't as many female role models, I just felt like I could always be myself and, and, and embrace who I was. And so I didn't feel the need to try to emulate other female leaders because there really wasn't many of them in the sales organization. And I do believe that your uniqueness is your differentiator. And so why would you want to take that away? And, and, And then observation too around women is that sometimes we think we have to almost be we almost have to be 100% ready or have 100% of the skills or experience for the role that we take on. But I don't, I don't think that's really true. And as one of my male mentors told me before I took on the previous role to the one that I'm in now is that if, you're, if you've had all the requirements for the role, you would already be doing it. And so don't hold yourself back by feeling that feeling like you do not have all the requirements. And maybe I'll just show one more thing is, is maybe be intentional about building your brand. I, I wasn't so much probably earlier on in my career, career but I, I realized over time that your brand is really maybe one of the most important assets you have in, in terms of your career or, and, and, and how you think it, or how people perceive you and what opportunities can come from that. So maybe just think about how someone would describe you and what adjectives would they use to, to describe you. And that's probably your brand and how others see you. I think folks that I work with would probably perceive me as um, someone that works hard, that's very committed and passionate about what I'm doing and, and execution oriented. So that's a little bit about my journey and, and some, some of the learnings. I have a lot more learnings, but those are some of the learnings I've had along the way. No, those have been fabulous. Thank you for sharing. And there's so much, so many pearls of wisdom that you gave us there. But one I wanted to dig into was you sharing a little bit about how understanding what your superpowers or what your strengths are and what they weren't, and then who you, that you tap into others who are strong in that part. So like if it were diving into statistics or the data, like I can do it, but just because you should, you can, doesn't mean you should. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I think in in all of the cohorts, we work with lots of companies. And as we're taking these women and diverse professionals through our accelerator program, one of the things they do get caught up on is that if they have to ask for help or they feel like they can't do it themselves, then they think less of themselves or that they're not enough or that they're supposed to be able to figure this out. And can you talk a little bit about how you initially, did you ever have that issue where like, oh my God, I'm not good at data. And so people are going to think less of me or did, or were you someone who always just reached out and leveraged other people's strengths? How did you come to that point where you were comfortable saying, I'm not strong here. I need to tap this person so that I can keep moving forward. So probably a little bit of both is, is the answer. Um, earlier in my career, I probably didn't reach out for help quite as, as much as quite as much. I would just sit there and try to figure it out and power through it and, and just do it alone, stay up to two in the morning, whatever right. it took. <laughs> just whatever, whatever it took to figure it out. But as I, I got a little wiser with time, I realized that there, there's so many people that I could tap into. And, and, and the other maybe that helped to get me there was taking some of the strength assessment tests. I've taken a n- numerous personality profile tests and they all lead to pretty much the same answers in terms of what I'm good at and and what I'm I'm less skilled at or not as good at. 
And so I think knowing those strengths that helped. And then what happens in a, in a setting like that, when you're taking these personality tests and others are doing it well as well, realize that others don't have strengths in everything either. I'm not the only right. person that says other people do as well. That helped me to really hone in on what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And when I think about the strongest teams that I've, I've led in my career, they've, they've been comprised of individuals with very different backgrounds, skill sets. For example, some member on the team may be a creative. Another may be good at storytelling. Another team, team member may be good at data analytics. And someone else may be strategic. Of course, people have overlapping skills and strengths. But the key is to close that gap in your skill set. And, and so you, so the sum of the team is greater than the individuals. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's why you, sometimes you see when a new leader comes in that the team sometimes changes out is because the previous leader may have had different skill sets than the new leader. And so they're simply trying to build their team around what their skills are and what their skills are not. And I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why you see that sometimes as, as a new leader comes in. Mm, that's really powerful. One of the other things you mentioned that I think was really key is not being afraid to take the stretch opportunities and how you had a mentor or, or someone who shared with you that if you were able to check the box on all the things that needed to be done for this role, you'd already be doing it. So don't be afraid to throw your name in the hat for roles or stretch opportunities where maybe you don't have the, some of those skill sets, but you com- you're confident that you could grow into them. Um, because the statistics are out there, right? Women will opt out of opportunities because they feel they have to have a hundred percent of the things they have to check the box. Whereas men are a little bit more confident and will throw their name in the hat, even if they check three things off a list of 10 and then they grow into it. Right. Can you talk a little bit about how you yourself would raise your hand or, or you mentioned once where you, you were offered a promotion with the encouragement of mentors and others, you stepped into it. But can you talk a little bit about how did you ramp up when you realized, okay, I'm stretching into the, I'm getting into this role. It's going to stretch me. There are some skill gaps. How did you close those gaps? What did you do to accelerate that process for yourself so that you could be excellent at it? Well, so first of all, you are so right about women thinking that they need to have all the skill sets. And, and I, I would even share that what I noticed is in interviewing, and I noticed it a lot a lot when I was running our distribution team in sales, I interviewed, I interviewed a lot of people and is in the, in the, the males that I would interview and I'm, I'm generalizing here. So keep that in mind, but they all, they all are going to be great. They've all done it before and they excelled at whatever they've done and they had very limited weaknesses. Conversely, the females I would interview lot of humility. These are, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good as good at. And this is where I think that I may, I may struggle. Um, They would come in very uh, honest and authentic in terms of their strengths and their weaknesses. And what I learned from that too, it's to be careful about biases because when I was first hiring, sure, I want to hire someone that tells me that they've got it, no problem. They're going to do a great job. And I've, and I've made some mistakes because I fell into that trap of, of not really not really being able to divine that someone that may be sharing more openly about their strengths and weaknesses that they could be just as strong if maybe not even a better candidate. So that was that was a learning along the way. 
And um, so I see it show up even at the interview stage, much less in the stage of when, when you actually get into the role. Mm-hmm. And for me, the education development, those types of things give me help with my confidence and help me feel like I'm in a better position to succeed. Also, again, it goes back to tapping into my network, tapping into people that I trust and that can give me direct feedback. But it always feels good to hear the, oh, you're doing a great job, or it always feels good to hear that you're doing well. But the people that can give it to you straight and say, hey, you could have done this better, or hey, that was good, but this is maybe where you need to focus more that can be very helpful. And so I think having those people in your lives that are mentors or friends, family, whatever, that can give you that direct feedback is also, is also helpful. Mm. Giving yourself a little grace that you're not going to know everything in the first week, the first month, the first six months, even it takes time, but chart out a path. And I, I like to say, organize and put plans together with a 30, 60, 90 day plan. And just what do I want to accomplish in this period? What do I need to accomplish in this period? or the next period, whatever it happens to be, and map that out. And you can measure yourself. Are you hitting those milestones as you're, as you're progressing in your journey? I think that's so powerful. And I love what you pointed out in terms of needing the truth tellers, right? It's, it's great to have mentors in a, in a circle of people or a board of directors that's always patting you on the back and lifting you up. But almost more importantly, are those truth tellers that say, hey, you did a good job, but here's how you could get better. And the irony is, is that many times we shy away from those truth tellers because it's like, it hurts, right? You don't, you don't want that feedback, but it's what you grow from the most. Can you talk about how, how do you seek that out? Because I've learned in my career, I had a lot of the people telling me that's great, but I didn't have enough people early on telling me the truth, right? Of what do I really need to do to grow? And part of it was because I'll be very honest and vulnerable. I had this involuntary tear factor that when I got negative feedback, I would start tearing up. And so it would cause people to shut down. And I had to learn to practice, to build up that like calloused kind of toughness to say, give me the the real feedback, like the constructive feedback to get over that piece. Did you have any experiences like that? Or how did you seek out the truth tellers? I was fortunate because I didn't have to seek them out. They were a couple of my bosses um, uh-huh. early on. Um, one of my one of my first bosses, who is a dear man, still friends with him today, and I and he I, he was a, a very encouraging leader. But also, if I messed up, he he would give me that direct feedback, but not in an offensive way. Maybe that's maybe that's part of the key. Someone's trying to help you. Um, it's easy to be very, it's easier to be open to the, the constructive feedback. I remember that this is rare, but it, it did happen. I forgot to call a client back, a referral that he had given me. This is when we were building out our partners that we worked with because it was early on. It was a growth kind of growth period for us. And I was with my boss and he asked me, did you call XYZ firm? And I was honest. I said, oh my gosh, I forgot. And he just looked at me and goes, don't let that happen again. And I know he's joking, but he wasn't. And and it was that kind of feedback that was pretty direct. And believe me, that's that's a mild that's a mild case. But I got the message. And then after I had another boss that gave me very direct feedback as well. And if I did something, it's like you could have done that better, or did you not think of this, or did so? I've had I've had bosses that that had given me very direct feedback, and those are the ones, quite frankly, that I have stayed in touch with 
because I know if I am in a situation now and I will I, and I want feedback around a situation or a difficult decision that those folks can can help me talk through it because I know that I'll get the straight feedback. Mm. My sister unfortunately passed um, a few years ago from cancer, but she had no problem giving me direct feedback if I if she thought I was a little out of line or a little this or what have you. And my husband could give me the same feedback, but somehow it felt better coming from my sister than my husband. But but I take his feedback as well because they know me so well. And when someone knows you really well and you know that they care about you and it's coming from a caring place, I, I and they have your best interest at heart, I think it's, it's a little bit easier to take that feedback. Mm. And I love what you just said. Feedback's a gift, but it always comes from a caring place. If if the person didn't care about you and the quality of work, they wouldn't give you the feedback. And so I think that's something that we miss a lot of the times. And you pointed it out that it's coming from a caring place when people give you feedback, because it's just so that it's all about improvement. So I think that's powerful too. Yeah, that's right. And 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 there was someone I, I I didn't work for this individual, but someone said um, to me before uh, when she quits giving feedback, that means she's just she's quit caring. She's not invested in you anymore. And so mm. I think there's something to that is that when you're when someone stops giving you feedback, they're probably less vested in your success. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results in advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. Speaking about being vested in success and having people who are willing to give you feedback and help you grow, can we talk a little bit about the importance of the community we build around us, not just for the support or family, but the community of influential kind of professional relationships of people who will go to bat for you or carry your paper in the room when you're not in the room. Can we talk about the idea behind those sponsors or advocates that actually help you move along in your career? How did you go about making sure that you were nurturing relationships like that and getting visibility with key stakeholders to help your career move along? And you're right. Mentor sponsors, they're they're hugely helpful to your career. And earlier on, I didn't even know that existed, much less even value it. So I guess you would call it an unconscious competence that wants it to have mentors and sponsors that actually did, that did speak for me, quite frankly, without me even knowing it. Um, one of the, the first promotions I got at the, the asset management firm that I spoke to you about, or, or I had mentioned, I was encouraged by a colleague that in today's terms, I would call that a sponsor to apply for the role. I wasn't even going to apply for the role. And it was encouraged by a couple of others because they were speaking for me to the hiring manager and ended up applying for the role and, and getting that role. I think it has to be a two-way relationship. And if you, if you say to executive or to a colleague that you want to be your sponsor mentor, hey, I want you to be my sponsor, or hey, I want you to be my mentor, but you don't have anything to offer back, I, I don't know that that's going to be mm. a successful partnership. So and I look back on these folks that did sponsor and did mentor me, um, I, I went above and beyond for them. These were previous bosses or these were colleagues that I worked with that made, I made them look good by doing extra work on the side for them with asking nothing in return. And right. so I, I think that's part of it too, is that you, it's building these sincere 
relationships. And I think just to network, to network, to just build out your network and say, I've got this relationship or that relationship, but it's not genuine and you're not adding value to that person. I don't know that that's going to really be a powerful relationship. So the relationship has to be built on a solid foundation and then get to know the person on an individual level, not just on a professional level and truly know how you can help that person. And, and some of the things that I still do and I've done throughout my career is I'm happy to connect people in my network with others, do things without expecting anything in return. And that, and that I find that the more that I do that, the more, the more that people want to help me out as well. I love that you shared some tangible examples. Sometimes it's as simple as making a connection. Is there anybody in my network that you would benefit from connecting? Because I think like you said, there's this idea of reciprocity, right? That it's not just, hey, can you be my mentor or sponsor? But what value are you going to help them as well? And it's almost an earned relationship, right? I think mentors might be a little different, but sponsors, they're putting their neck out for you and and, and putting your name out there and, and advocating for you. And you shared how you would do these little things to nurture the relationship. And I think it's important that you shared those tangible things because sometimes I will hear from individuals that are going through our program, but what do I have to offer the senior leader that I want to be my mentor or my sponsor? And it's something as simple as like, maybe you have a connection or maybe you found a piece of research or something that you know might be of interest that you forward along to them. It's those little pieces that you are thinking of them and trying to help them and go above and beyond, like you said. I think that's super and that's important. And I'm so glad you mentioned it. It could be simple. I was, just, I was gonna say, send an, an article to someone like yes. hey, this article. I thought would help you, or, or sometimes if you heard someone that's sick or their mother's sick, send them a note. I'm thinking about you, and just it doesn't have to be thirty minute, hour long conversation once a week. It doesn't have to be that, but just just staying connected. That is so powerful that you mentioned that because I want to say very early on in my career, one of our very senior leaders, mother passed away unexpectedly. And the only reason I found out was because I had this meeting on the calendar that I just happened to be part of and they had to cancel because of that. And I just went out of my way, bought a card, left it on her desk because she was out for a few days. And fast forward a few months later, she reached out to me and asked me to join this special project. And I remember a few years down later, I asked her, I was like, that project actually helped catapult me in my career. And I asked her, I was like, what made you think of me? And she was like, do you want to know the honest truth? And I was like, yes. And she was like, I would love to tell you it was something that I knew you had some magic power skills. She was like, I knew you were talented. She was like, but you were one of the few people who went out of their way to give me a card to that were very thoughtful during that time for me. And I thought anybody who's that thoughtful is going to be very thoughtful in the work that she does as well. So I chose you. And I and I realized it was something that had nothing to do with my skill set that helped move me along. So I love that you shared that, like little notes like that of just like, hey, I'm thinking about you do actually go a very long way. That, no, yeah. I love your story. Thank you. <laughs> so I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to ask about rejection. It's one of these big things and you're in sales, right? And I think sometimes people, when they get either feedback or get rejection where they've done something wrong, they clam up or they avoid those types of things. They avoid the, oh, if I fail, but being in sales, you get to go through a lot of no's and rejections and things like that. Can you talk about that resiliency or how did you how do you get past those moments of like you getting to the yes, but the 10 hundred no's you go through before you get that one yes? 
So I guess the saying in sales is that every time you get to know you're one step closer to a yes or what have you. And, uh-huh. and, I, and sometimes it depends, I think, too, what's going on in your life. And, and we're because we're all human and we're all we, there's things that could be going on in your personal life that could be in, impacting you. So and which makes you more sensitive. So if I have a failure or client says no or the rejection, whatever it happens to be. And maybe it's at a sensitive topic in my life, as I mentioned to you about my sister, or I may be more sensitive to the failure or the setback Mm -hmm. or the no. And so you have to keep that in mind that it may be Mm -hmm. where you are in your time. But I also think just, it just is accepting that failure and setbacks are part of growing and you have to learn from them. It's, there's no one, no one that will ever walk this earth that will not have any failures or any setbacks and what have you. And so we're human and that's just part of the human condition. And then frame it as a growth opportunity and look at it as an opportunity to grow. What can you learn from it? Sometimes it has deep, you couldn't do anything differently and just know that. And that's okay. And if it was something that you could have done differently, you have to give your great, yourself some grace for making that mistake. And again, as I, as I said, is to learn mm-hmm. from it and stay focused on the goal. So if you're your goal is, let's just say you have a billion dollar sales goal and you had a $500 million opportunity and you lost that one. And now you only have 200 million and you're in, um, on the books and you've got 800 million to go. It is September. Um, you still stay focused on that goal and don't give up on the goal because anything can happen until the clock runs out. Don't give up on the goal. And so I just, I try to look at the, the failures as an opportunity to learn and don't overly beat yourself up. I mean, you can't let yourself off the hook necessarily when something goes wrong that was your responsibility. But at the same time, you can't undo what has done and you just have to move on and learn from it. I love that. They're all teachable moments, right? And if you can reframe that failure as to what can I learn from it? And like you said, if there's nothing, if you did everything you possibly could, it is what it is. But if there's something that you're like, I could have done this differently, it's just something new you've learned and it's just going to be that much better in the next with the next opportunity. I love that. I could go on and on talking to you because you have so many tangible ideas, but I do need to jump to our lightning round questions to wrap up our conversation. But this is actually one of my favorite sections because we learn so much about our, our guests by their answers. So let's kick off with the first question. What book has greatly influenced you? Ah, gosh, a, a, a book that I've read, I, I, the one that comes to mind because I've read it not too long ago was Art of Racing in the Rain. Mm. All right. What about it? Did you did you enjoy? The, the title is interesting. I haven't heard of this one, Art of Racing in the Rain. Yeah, there, there's so many parallels to life in that. And I, won't, I won't run it for you, but there's a lot of parallels to life and it's an entertaining read as well. I love it. Okay. I'm going to have to check that one. It's on my read, my read list for these next couple of weeks. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? The one that sometimes I come back to is if you're familiar with Roosevelt's man in the arena, mm-hmm. it's yeah. So that, I think that's, that's one that I come back to frequently. I love that. I love that. What is one word or moniker that you would use to describe yourself? And maybe, maybe this is, I've heard it so much from others about me that maybe I'm, I'm describing myself that way from hearing it from others, but I can be tenacious. I love it. Tenacious. Yes. And like you said, it's usually what others it's there. Like when sometimes some people say, what would you, how would you describe yourself? And you're like, I don't know. It's like, well, what do others call you? And, and it, it is what it is. Tenacious. I can see it. Fantastic. 
What is one change, a habit, a behavior, an action that you implemented at some point in your life or career that made your life better? I'm focusing on gratitude. And actually, I learned this one from my sister as well. Just reflecting at the end of the day or sometimes on a flight, What just the three things that I'm grateful for each day, just bringing it back to the several things that I'm grateful that happened on that, that particular day. I love that. And it helps you in the moment, right? To stay in the present of like what happened today. I, I practice that as well. It grounds you again. I love it. So that's powerful. Now, this is my favorite. Given your role and you've probably been on various stages, panel discussions or speaking on a stage, what is the one power song that you would want playing when you walked out onto stage? And this actually is a harder question for me. I'm a little bit of a Queen fan. Freddie Mercury was amazingly talented. So I'm going to go with Don't Stop Me Now. I love it. Don't Stop Me Now. And it goes along with Tenacious, right? So <laughs> I guess it does. I guess it does. I love it. Well, Terry, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I know that you are a super busy individual and giving us this time so that our audience can learn from you and your journey is, is super powerful and insightful. And I hope um, to see you again at some point. But I'd love to ask, because we get this from all of our listeners all the time, what is the best way to engage with you? Is it LinkedIn? Do you have other forms of channel like social media that you connect with? But um, I'm sure some of our listeners are going to want to reach out. So what's the best way to stay connected? I would say LinkedIn is probably the best way to stay connected. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you. And good luck to you and your continued successes. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at GoBeyondBarriers.com, where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests.